and Paula was brought in, as if she had been waiting. She was entirely colorless, but she smiled at Bell. She came quickly to his side. I heard, she said in a clear and even little voice. We will go together, Charles. If there is a week in which we can be together, it will be so much of happiness. And when you are the master's victim, we will let the little boat sink and sink with it. I do not wish to live without you, Charles, and you do not wish to live as his slave. Bell gave utterance to a sudden laugh that was like a bark. His hands came out from under his coat. Dangling from each one was a small pear-shaped globule of metal. A staff projected upward from each one, and he held those staffs within his writhing hands. About each wrist was a tiny loop of cord that went down to a pin at the base of the staffs. Close to me, Paula, he said coldly. She clung to his arm. He moved forward with a half a dozen revolver muzzles pointed at his breast. If one of you damned fools fires, he said harshly, I'll let go. When I let go, these are Mill's grenades, and they go off in three seconds after they leave the hand. Stand still. There was a terrible, frozen silence, then a movement from behind Bell. Jameson was rising with a grunt. Some day, Bell, he observed coolly, I'll be on to all your curves. This is the best one yet. But you're likely to let go at any second, aren't you? Like hell, raged Bell. I drank some of your poison, he snarled at the master. Yes, I was fool enough to do it. But I took what measures any man will take who finds he swallowed poison. I got it out of my stomach at once. And if you or one of these deputies tries to move... Ribiera had blanched to a pasty gray. The master was frozen. But Bell saw Ribiera's eyes move in swift calculation. There was a solid wall behind the master. It seemed as if the greenhouse were a sort of passageway between two larger structures. And there was a door almost immediately behind Ribiera. Ribiera glanced right, left. He flung himself through that door. He knew the secret of the master's power. He was the master's appointed successor. If the master and all his deputies died, Ribiera... But Bell snapped into action like a bent spring released. His arm shot forward. A grenade went hurling through the door through which Ribiera had fled. There was an instantaneous, terrific explosion. The solid wall shook and shivered, and with a vast deliberation collapsed. The greenhouse was full of crushed plaster dust. Panes of glass shivered. But Bell was upon the master. He had struck the little man down and stood over him, his remaining automatic replacing the grenade he had thrown. Ribiera's dead, he snapped, and if I'm shot, the master dies too, and you all go mad. Stand back. The deputies stood frozen. I think, said Jameson, composedly, I'll take a hand now. I'll pick him up, Bell. Right, I've got him, with a grenade hanging down his back. If he jerks away from me or I from him, it will blow his spine to bits. Hold him so, said Bell coldly. He went coolly to where he could look over the heap of the collapsed wall. He saw a bundle of torn clothing that had been a man. It was flung against a cracked and tottering chimney. 
Right, he said evenly. Ribiera's dead, all right. He turned to the deputies, whose revolvers were still in their hands. The master's carriage, please, he said politely, to the door. You may accompany us, if you please, but in other carriages. I am working for the release of all the master's slaves, and you among them, if you choose, but you can see very easily that there is no hope for the release of the master without the meeting of my terms. The master spoke softly and mildly and without fear. It is my order that the senor bell is to be obeyed. I shall return. You need have no fear of my death. My carriage. A man went stiffly, half paralyzed with terror, to where the chattering garret servants were grouped, in the awful fear that came upon the slaves of the master at any threat to his rule. But Bell and Paula and Jameson went slowly and cautiously, though they held the whip hand, to the entrance door of the house and out to the entrance gate. A carriage was already before the door when they reached it, and others were drawing up in a line behind it. Get in, said Bell briefly, down to the waterfront. He turned to the group of frock-coated, stricken men who had followed. Some of you men, he said coldly, had better go on ahead and warn the police and the public generally about the certainty of the master's death if any attempt is made to rescue him. Francia of Paraguay summoned a swagger and raised his hand to the second carriage. It drew into the curb. I will attend to it, Senor Bell, he said politely. Ah, when I think that I once raised my revolver to shoot you and refrained. He drove off swiftly. Bell's eyes were glowing. He got into the carriage, and such a procession drove through the streets of Punta Arenas as had rarely moved through the streets of any city in the world. The long line of carriages moved at a funeral pace amid a surging, terrified mob. The master beamed placidly as he looked out over the white, starkly agonized faces. Some of the people groaned audibly. A few cursed the master in their despair. More cursed Bell, not daring to strike or fire on him. But he would have been torn to bits if he had stepped from the carriage for an instant. Bell, said Jameson dryly, considering that I am prepared to be blown apart on three seconds' notice, it is peculiar that this mob frightens me. The master's eyes twinkled benignly. He seemed totally insensible to fear. You need not be afraid, he said gently. They will not touch you unless I order them. Jameson stared down at the little man whose collar he held firmly, with a mill's grenade dangling down at the back of his neck. I wouldn't order them to attack if I were you, he said coldly. I haven't Bell's brains, but I have just as much dislike for you as he has. They came to the harbor. Bell spoke again. The carriage is to drive out to the end of one of the docks, and no one else is to go out on that dock. The master relayed the order in his mild voice, but as the coachman obeyed him, he clucked his tongue commiseratingly. Senor Bell, he protested gently, you do not expect to escape, not after killing me. Why, that is absurd. Bell said nothing. He alighted from the carriage, his face set grimly, 
and stared ashore at the long, long row of terrified faces staring out at him. The whole waterfront seemed to be lined with staring faces. Wails came from the mass of enslaved human beings. Hold him here, Jameson, he said drearily. I'm going out to look at that big plane. There's a rowboat tied to the dock here. He swung down the side into the dock and rowed off into the harbor, while the horses attached to the master's carriage pawed impatiently at the wooden flooring of the dock. Bell reached the two planes anchored on the still harbor water. The smaller one had brought them down from Buenos Aires. The larger one had gone after the beached amphibian and brought it and Paula onto the city. Bell, from the shore, was seen to be investigating the larger one. He came rowing back. His head appeared above the dock edge. All right, he said tiredly. The master has a rule requiring all his ships ready for instant flight. Very useful. The big plane is fueled and full of oil. We'll go out to it and take off. Jameson lifted the master to his feet and with a surge of muscles swept him down to the flooring of the dock. Paula first, said Bell, and then the master, and then you, Jameson. One moment, said the master reproachfully. It would be cruel not to let me reassure my subjects. I will give an order. Bell and Jameson listened suspiciously, but he spoke gently to the coachman. You will tell the deputies, said the master in Spanish, that a month's supply of medicine for all my subjects will be found in my laboratory, and you may tell them that I shall return before the end of that time. The coachman's eyes filled with a passionate relief. Now, said the master placidly, I am ready for our little jaunt. Paula descended the ladder and seated herself in the bow of the boat. Bell covered the master grimly with his automatic as he descended. With surprising agility, Jameson came down last and resumed his former grip on the master's collar. Bell rode out to the big plane. Jameson kept close watch while Bell started the four huge motors and throttled them down to warming up speed, while he hauled up the anchor with which the huge seaplane was anchored. The dock was covered with a swarm of panic-stricken folk. Everywhere, all the inhabitants of the city, who were slaves to the master, had come in awful terror to watch, and all the inhabitants of the city were slaves to the master. Some of them fell to their knees and held out imploring arms to Bell, begging him for mercy and the return of the master. Some cursed wildly. But with his jaws set grimly, Bell gave the motors the gun. The big plane moved heavily, then more swiftly through the water. It lifted slowly and rose and rose and dwindled to a speck high in the air. And all through the streets and ways of Punta Arenas, fear stalked almost as a tangible thing. Panic hovered over the housetops, always ready to descend. Terror was in the air that every man breathed, and every human being looked at every other human being with staring, haunted eyes. Punta Arenas was waiting for its murder madness to begin. End of chapter 17